And I don't know if you are coming off of a good week, a great week, a bad week, a terrible week. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a pretty good week for me. The, uh, the men's chili cook-off was yesterday, and my dad and I have entered a chili in the last three years. We won first place two years ago, failed to place last year due to a uh, brown sugar accident that happened while we were making the chili. Uh, and then this year we got, we got second place, so uh, I'm having a pretty good week, which means I'm going to be a little perky during the sermon today. I hope you don't mind, um, but it's, it's been a good week. And we are in a new series called Glory in the Church, and I'm also very excited about this new series, Glory in the Church, because we are, we are going into some really deep waters here together in the book of Ephesians, um, but, what, but we're, what we're coming out with is some very relatable, understandable truths about God our Father, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and today even we talk about the Holy Spirit. And so the one thing that I want you to walk away with today before we get into some complicated stuff in the Bible um, can, can really be captured in one picture. Here's a picture that I have from one of the most famous board games in all of history, Monopoly. And you remember Monopoly when you got the community chess card that said you got an inheritance. It was a good turn, right? It was a good turn. It's really funny now that you look at it. You inherit $100. <laughs> and, and then it says, buy a yacht, world tour, Rolls Royce which uh, times have changed for a hundred bucks. But this idea of you inheriting something is, is the idea, the thread that runs through this whole text today. And if I were to ask you the question, are you going to heaven? What would your answer be right now? Are you going to heaven? What would your answer be right now? And then if I said, well, how did you get that confidence that you're going to heaven? One way that I know if you understand the Bible is if you understand that the way any of us gets to heaven is the Father gives us an inheritance. Heaven is, is given to you not as a paycheck, but as an inheritance. And the humbling thing about an inheritance is you didn't work for it. You're just related to the person who did. It's that easy. It's not free, because it costs the father everything, his son. But have you inherited the promise of going to heaven? That's what the whole message is about today. And we're going to see that the father has been planning this inheritance for his children from eternity past. Let's pray and then we'll get into Ephesians 1 together. Father, thank you that you have prepared an inheritance for your children. Thank you that we don't work for heaven. We don't earn it. We can't be good enough to impress you. You love us so much. You would give us the kingdom because we're related to you rightly. Show us in your word how we can enjoy this relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. And the... Uh, the text we've been in is, I forget, it's like a 202-word run-on sentence that we started two weeks ago. Wouldn't that be funny if in, uh, you know, like several hundred years, someone stood up and it took three weeks for them to explain one sentence you wrote down on paper. That's what we're doing with the Apostle Paul here. He wrote this really long sentence and it's taken us three weeks to unpack it because it's filled with great stuff. In the book of Ephesians, we, we learn how the glory of Christ can be and will be in the church. And we've already talked about a few weeks ago, God the Father and his work in eternity past. 
And then last week we talked about God the Son and his work at the cross. Today we, we end with talking about God the Spirit and his work in the eternal future to uh, prepare us for the inheritance coming. This sermon also serves as kind of a review of the last three weeks. So let's check out verse 11 where it says this, In him, that's Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The first thing you can write down as a recap is this. Number one, uh, praise the Father and embrace his sovereign plan. Praise the Father. This whole passage here is like a, a praise. It's like a psalm. It, it resembles a psalm or a hymn or a word of praise. And so the, the writer is inviting us to say the same thing in our heart. It's an invitation to praise the Father for his sovereign plan. If we are to do this, if we are to praise the Father for his sovereign plan, we have to first believe that there is a God. And have you gotten to that point in your journey on spaceship planet Earth? Have you gotten to the point where you have been able to say, there is a God? Some people spend their whole lives wrestling with that very simple truth. Um, but I'm here to tell you there is a God, and He is a good God, and He has a plan. And this plan dates back to before time even began. There is a God, and He's good, and He's sovereign, and He has a plan. Well, when it comes to this plan, we learned a few weeks ago, jot this down, praise God for choosing to save us. God had a plan, and it was a rescue plan. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The plan here, which deals with the idea of predestination or election or God's choosing to save us, we went in depth two weeks ago. If you want to hear more about, if you were really excited about a sermon on predestination today, <laughs> then you're not going to get it, all right? But two weeks ago, you did get it, so go on the app or go on the website and hear the whole sermon about that. I'm just giving you a review on it. But the idea of election is this. God chose to save us before time began, and he predestined us for adoption into his family, so there was a God, and his heart was moved before time to rescue, to save, and to adopt. God chose to save us. The idea of a rescue is pretty humiliating because we're told all of our lives how special we are, and, you know, and, and we think that, well, God must love us because what's not to love? I mean, you know, I mean, uh, but the truth of the Bible is that there's really nothing in us that merits God welcoming us into eternity we are fallen. We are ruined. We, and therefore, we're like, we're like a rescue. God has to rescue us. Uh, and he chose to save us, to rescue us. That was his plan from before time. Here's a picture of a cat that was rescued from a burning building in the middle of winter. Now, a good way to figure out if you're going to heaven or not is if I were to say, when did God do that for you? what would you say? When did God save you? Oh, I, I went to religious ed all my life. Uh-uh. That's not that. 
When did God save you? Oh, I was born Presbyterian. My grandma was... No, uh uh-uh. I didn't say, how religious are you? I didn't say, what kind of a building did you grow up in? When did God do that for you? When did he pick you up out of the fallen wreckage of humanity and save your soul? Are you a saved person? Well, I've been a pretty good person. A good person is not a saved person. Two different things. Most people think they're going to heaven because they're good people, but good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. So when did God pick you up out of that flaming building and set your feet on solid rock? Are you a saved person? Praise God for choosing to save us. That was the plan, and that was the heart of God. Jot this down. Praise God for planning to adopt us. Planning to adopt us. Often people get uh, really intellectual when the idea of predestination comes up, but there's a very loving family uh, picture painted. He predestined us for adoption. So, so sometimes people get all stuck on the word and they never get to the whole concept of, of God planning a family and wanting to bring children into his household And that's what was on his heart before time began. God has, God is a father, and he has one natural son, Jesus Christ, and he planned to adopt billions more. Are you one of the adopted children of God? Sometimes I'll ask people, do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, of course. When did God adopt you? Huh? When did God adopt you into his family? I don't know. They don't have this understanding that at some point they must be welcomed into the household of God. They think they've just always been a member of it. Now, it'd be a funny thought if you just picked any old house on your street and decided that you were just going to appoint yourself a member of that family. Do it today. Just walk in around lunchtime and sit down at the table and see what happens to you. If you just decide without any consent on the part of the family that you just are going to be a part of that family. Now, when you get arrested... (laughs) or shot, I don't know, Uh, that will teach you what will happen if you think you're just going to walk into the heavenly family. I'm here! When's lunch? Do you know the last thing people hear before they go off to an eternity of torment? The Bible tells us the last thing they hear. And here's what it is. Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Do you know him? Are you family? Praise God for planning to adopt us. Jot this down. Praise God for preparing our inheritance. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's an inheritance. It's been prepared by the Father, and he's been preparing it from before time began. God began with the end in mind. Therefore, this is a wonderful thought. From the moment the clock started ticking in this entire cosmos, uh, the children of God really have had no worry about the ending. God tells us the ending before it happens. We don't have to lay awake at night. What if I make a mistake? Am I still going to end up? It's already written. It's already written. He prepared the inheritance for you, and there's nothing on earth that can damage what he has waiting for you in heaven. It's a wonderful thing that God has told us a trillion years of future history.
So maybe some of you play the stock market. You play the stock market, you go to, you trade, you whatever. We've got a picture here of the stock market. It's not doing so well. Uh, and, you know, it was doing pretty well. And then suddenly it just plunged and then it goes up and down and up and down. Uh, and so they can't, it's, it's, it's like changing wildly. It's like a roller coaster right now. And at our church, we have like some sort of a matching account with a retirement thing for staff. And so I was on the phone with some TD Ameritrade reps this week because some new employees were getting their little matching account set up. And so while they were, you know, tapping away at the keyboard, I said, hey, can I ask you for some financial advice? And the guy said, oh, no, sir, I'm not allowed to offer you any advice whatsoever. And I said, oh, I understand you have to say that, but how do you feel about... How do you feel about cruise ship stock right now? I hear it's on the down and it's a good time to buy. And he goes, I'm not allowed to give you any advice about the future. And you can't construe anything that I say as advice. You know, because he can get in big trouble, right? And I said, all right, blink once if you think I should purchase. <laughs> and then, you know, financial guys, it's hard to get him joking around. He goes, all right, did you get it? <laughs> and I said, if you sneeze, I'm going to know that Exxon is a good buy. And I think the rest of the phone call, he was just trying desperately to not sneeze because he could get in trouble. That could be advice. Now, here's what's funny. Everyone's trying to figure out what the future holds. Just a day of what the future would hold could help investors to make a fortune right now. Just in a week, oh my goodness, if you would just tell me the week. Uh, when it comes to the futures of spirituality, um, look, I'm not on the phone with God and he's like, oh, I can't tell you. He's like, I'll tell you all of it. I'll tell you all of it. I'll tell you all. I'll tell you a trillion years worth of the futures. You in glory forever. Well, is the value of gold going to go down? Uh, I'm paving the streets with it. There's no problem. There's no recession in heaven. Um, do you see how foolish and fearful and greedy people are in trying to figure out the future here? And how much peace and calm and security we can find because God has given us an inheritance that can never be taken from us. And he told us about it. Wow, this is where we find our peace. And this is where a fortune greater than all the gold of heaven can be ours. Praise God for preparing our inheritance. Matthew 25, 34 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, that's those going to heaven, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, get this, from the foundation of the world. If he got it ready before time began and he promised it's going to last forever, why are we chasing nickels down here? Yes, we want to be good stewards, but why are we so terrified? We don't have to live like the world around us. Uh, when you've got heaven in your pocket, you can be a lot more calm about what's going on in the world around you. Number one, praise the Father and embrace His sovereign plan. Praise God for choosing to save us, for planning to adopt us, for preparing our inheritance. Praise God. And this all happened before, before a second was even ticked off the clock. It goes on then to say this. It says, So that, verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ, now we're talking about the Son, might be to the praise of His glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now it says this, we were the first to hope in Christ. Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him it says you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed in him. There's so much in here. It could be a sermon in and of itself. But number two, jot this down. Believe the gospel and embrace the son. Praise the father and embrace his sovereign plan. Believe the gospel and embrace the son. Believe it. The idea of the gospel is good news. It's good news. That's what the word means. It means good news. So what would be the best news you ever got? Best news you ever got. What would be the best? There's a lot of good news that comes to us in life, right? There might be the good news of, of, a, of an acceptance into a college or good news of a grade you got or good news of a job that you interviewed for. You know, there, there could be the good news of an engagement announcement or, or a baby announcement. There's good news. There's all sorts of good news. But, but the best news you could ever get, ever get, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save your soul. That's the best news you can ever get. Someone died in my place to rescue me for eternity. That's it. That's the gospel, the news. Believe the gospel and embrace the Son. It says here the word of truth is what we heard. So what is it that we have to believe? Well, jot this down. Praise Jesus for defeating sin at the cross. This is the good news. He defeated sin at the cross. You and I, we have a problem that only heaven can solve. That problem is sin. And sin infects our soul like a cancer could infect our bodies. We can't cure it. Sin is incurable. We, we can't get rid of it. It's there and it's devouring us. And it's not necessarily even the symptoms that tell us of the severity of the sickness. It's deep at the level of the soul. The symptoms only confirm what the Bible says. Uh, that, that sin is lethal in its smallest dose. And so we have a sin problem, and Jesus defeated sin on the cross. How did he do it? Well, he was a perfect sacrifice. The Bible says that he was without sin. Do you believe that? Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived never violating God's law. He lived never, never uh, breaking the commandments at all. And therefore, who he was represented a perfect sacrifice because as a human he was able to fulfill the law he could give himself as a righteous atoning sacrifice for us but because he was from heaven because he was God he could represent God on our behalf that makes Jesus one of a kind only Jesus can speak from heaven on behalf of God no other person who's ever lived has the authority to do that he brought with him the fullness of holiness from heaven. But because he became human, he could speak to God on our behalf. He's one of us. And because he fulfilled all righteousness, he was able to present himself before the Father and say, I will take the sins of the world on my shoulders and I will offer my righteousness in place of those who have fallen. That's called substitution. That's called, that's called sacrifice. And if you want your sins to go away, you can't just turn over a new leaf. You know, you, just, you can't just watch your language, right? You, you, you need a total reboot. The Bible calls that being born again. The Bible calls that being adopted into God's family, being washed clean of all of your sin. Have you been born again? Have you been washed clean? Have you allowed Jesus to take care of your sin problem uh, at the cross? I'm reminded of what a speaker, Michael Ramsden, a member of the Robbie Zacharias speaking team, said years ago. 
He said, coming to Christ is not a moment in your life. It is a moment of life. Because he is the life. You come dead, you leave alive. Hey, is that your relationship with Jesus? Did you come dead? Dead in your sins. Did you walk away alive? Have you been born again? Have you been washed and forgiven of all of your sin? If not, that can happen today. But you have to admit the truth about your soul. Believe the gospel and embrace the Son. Praise Jesus for defeating sin at the cross. Jot this down. Praise Jesus for defeating death at the tomb. Defeating death at the tomb. When the Bible says we've been redeemed or set free, one of the things we've been set free from is being imprisoned to fear of death. We've been enslaved by our fear of death all our lives. Have you been set free from your fear of death? I saw um, an elementary school assignment once was for a, a student to, de to describe and draw a picture of where he would be in life in a hundred years. And here was his uh, answer. Here's what he did. Draw a picture of what you will look like in a hundred years. In a hundred years, I will be <laughs> so many years old. And he just drew that. <laughs> Warren, arrest in peace. This is the reality that we all must face. Our day is coming. Our time is limited. And so all our lives we live with this fear of death. What happens when we cross over to the next life? We wonder and we fear. But we can praise God because he defeated death at the tomb. On the third day, he rose again. The stone was rolled away. Christ emerged triumphant and victorious, never to die again. Because of that, he's the only one who can give you hope that death is not the end of your story. Who else are you going to go to? Who else are you, you going to walk up to their tombstone and be like, I pick you to bring me into the next life. Box of bones, you're going to get me there. Why not pick the one person who rose again from the grave bodily and in front of hundreds of witnesses ascended to the right hand of the Father? He's the guide. Praise Jesus for defeating death at the tomb. Only Jesus can walk you safely through the valley of the shadow of death. Only Jesus. We lost a precious man in our church last week named Ed Voss. He served on our usher team. He's been a part of our church for several years, and he was battling uh, heart disease. And for uh, a couple weeks ago, they, he had a couple of heart issues and then he had a big one and then they brought him back and we thought all right we've got some bonus time here and doctors didn't know what could happen but they discovered lots of blockage and they had him on a heart machine and they finally got to the point where they said look we're stuck we we can't do the surgery because we know that'll kill you uh and we can't leave you on the machine and so the time's coming when we have to make a decision so two sundays ago i went up and visited him at the hospital and he was he was perfectly coherent and I said, Ed, are you ready to go? Doctors don't know, you know really how this is going to work out. And he said, well, he said, I trusted Jesus as Savior. And he's like, I, I don't know if I want to stay or if I want to go. And I said, well, Ed, Apostle Paul faced that same problem. And he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. He said, but it's more necessary for you that I stay. So I said, let's just pray right now. And let's just surrender that to God. And, and we'll just pray and surrender. And we'll say, God... If you want me to go, I'll go. And if you want me to stay, I'll stay. But, but here's my soul. And so we did. And we talked for a good hour. 
family came up there, and then as the doctors thought, as the week played out, you know, he started to slip, and you know, then, then he wasn't really conscious, and they finally said, look, we gotta, we gotta take him off the machine, and we probably know what that means, and so that happened last week, and he passed pretty quickly and, and in peace, and so this last week, I had the chance, the honor to preach at his memorial service, and there was just a full room there, um, and Ed had requested that I speak from Psalm 23, and I want to read a few verses of that to you. It says this, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hey, do you follow Jesus as your shepherd? Is he your chief shepherd? Is, is he your, your plan to get through the best days of this life and the worst days of this life? And is he the one you're following through the very valley of the shadow of death? Because that, that was Ed's faith, and he left this world with confidence that he could go and he was ready. And you can be ready too if you believe the gospel, the good news, and you embrace the son who defeated sin and defeated death at the cross. That's how we get ready. Number one, praise the Father and embrace His sovereign plan. Number two, believe the gospel and embrace the Son. And then number three, jot this down, rest in the guarantee of the Spirit. Rest in the guarantee of the Spirit. It says in verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So there's a lot here, even though this plan was, was predestined, even though God was electing, choosing to save us from before time, there's uh, very clearly in scripture it's taught that we're responsible to hear the gospel, the church is responsible to preach the gospel, and the only way that this whole plan actually catches fire and takes root in our hearts is when we respond to the gospel and believe the good news. Uh, so we've believed in him, and then at that moment we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the guarantee that we are settled in a relationship with God that will last forever. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. This is not a force. This is not a mystical uh, it's not a mystical fable. The Holy Spirit is actually a person in the Bible. There are times where the Spirit speaks, where the Spirit says things. Uh, but the Spirit's job primarily is to draw attention to the Son and um, to serve in, in the hidden places of our heart where the Spirit testifies to us that we are children of God. And the Spirit is a very important part of the salvation process. The Spirit regenerates us, meaning gives us the new life that we enjoy spiritually. Uh, the Spirit places us in the family of God, uh, the Spirit of adoption. And the Spirit here also seals us, seals us, marks us as God's possession, and is also serving as the deposit that proves the rest of the inheritance is coming. It says in Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
This is a very clear black and white teaching here. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you do belong to Christ. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you do not belong to Christ. So one other question we can say, do you know you're going to heaven? Yeah. Does the Spirit of God live in you? I don't know. Well, that's troubling. That's concerning because that's one big thing the Bible says is true of every saved child of God. The Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit changes us. And from the beginning, we become new people. Now, if you were saved, let's say when you were four years old, the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you if your conversion was genuine. You became a temple of the living God. What's the Spirit doing in there? Primarily conforming you into the image of Christ. It's all about character transformation. It's about your relationship with Christ growing stronger. It's relational. And the fruit of the Spirit, you know them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are hard to measure. You know, like if I were to say, oh, what percentage self-controlled are you this year compared to last year? Uh, (laughs) But those around you know, and you know, if there is the living Spirit of God transforming you, the Bible says, from one degree of glory to another. And if you see a person who's saved, you know, sure, their performance is going to go up and down, but there's going to be this steady connection, chain link after chain link, one year after another, of an upward trajectory in their relationship with God and their likeness to Christ. If you think when you were a kid you went to some class or you walked some aisle or you did something, but there's no evidence that you have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, if there is no evidence that year after year you are becoming more like Jesus Christ, then the chances are the Holy Spirit is not inside of you. You had some sort of a ceremonial or formal relationship to the church, but did you ever have a living relationship to God through Jesus Christ? Does the Holy Spirit live in you? And there are some interpretive challenges to this text here. Uh, I don't want to share all of my homework with you, um, but I will share that there are two beautiful thoughts here, and they're both illustrated throughout the text, Um, but the scholars are are really not exactly clear on uh, which of these two thoughts are, are actually most accurate. The good news is both of the thoughts that are possible are biblical and in the New Testament, so I'm going to share both of them with you. The first thing you can write down is this, the kingdom is ours forever. The kingdom is ours forever. Meaning when this passage talks about the inheritance It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Uh, Even in verse 11, some of your translations might word that differently because that sounds like the inheritance is something that we got. But there are other scholars who say that that could just as easily read, um, in him we are an inheritance, meaning we are the inheritance of God. So God is receiving us uh, just just as an inheritance. And that is true as well. We, possess, we are possessed by God as a treasured possession, but it's also true that we have this treasured possession and inheritance waiting for us. And so also, if you read down in verse uh, 14, where it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? Some of your translations too might render that differently because it says in the ESV, the inheritance is something we acquire possession of it. But again, if you check in the original Greek, it just says until possession or until it's possessed. So it's, it's an interpretation to say, well, that means we're possessing it, but it could just as easily mean God is claiming us as his own. 
So I hope that's not too confusing, but both of those ideas are biblical in the New Testament. So I'm going to take the first one here. The idea that there is an inheritance and it belongs to us and the time is coming when we'll claim it is a thoroughly New Testament idea and it is represented here in the text. Listen, the kingdom is ours forever. The kingdom is ours forever. And the idea of the Holy Spirit being a deposit is a guarantee that we have the Spirit now and we will have the full inheritance soon. The Spirit is called here a deposit guaranteeing it or a down payment. Um, the kingdom is ours and we can know that because of what's already in our account. Well, what's already in our account? God himself. The deposit is the fullness of deity. And that's supposed to show you, wait a minute, that sounds like not just like earnest money, it sounds like the whole thing. Bingo! Bingo. He's given us the whole fullness. Every spiritual blessing is ours, but the world around us doesn't manifest that truth yet. So the idea that the Holy Spirit is a down payment is kind of a, is kind of a funny thought. It's all there, but it's just a deposit. That's a really amazing thought because the whole thing is guaranteed. Back to my conversations with TD Ameritrade, they, they wanted to, me to authenticate myself to know that if I had authority to have conversations with them about these accounts. And I'm like, yes, I do. And they're like, can you tell us about the account balance of this account? They wanted me to give a number to authenticate that I was leading the business that had this number. And I'm like, um, yeah. And so the finance team was looking at these records and they're trying to figure out the number. And then we finally realized that they were asking me about a conduit account. A conduit account, meaning the whole account, the account just exists to pass through. And I said, the balance is zero. And the guy goes, you are correct. And I said, that was a trick question. It's a trick question. What are the balances of these accounts, sir? <laughs> Nothing. Yes. Now listen, when, when you look into the balance of your account, you can, you can kind of ask based on what the scripture says. What's waiting for me in eternity? What's waiting for me in eternity? What's the balance of my account? And the answer, there's only two answers. Nothing or everything. That's it. Nothing or everything. And I'd hate for some of you to come into the room this morning to think that everything's waiting for you in heaven, but, but here I am checking my records, and I say to you, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? Mm. Have you been born again? Mm. Are you adopted into his family? Mm. And then for me to be like, can you tell me the balance of what you have waiting for you in heaven? And you're like, everything! And I'm like, um, try again. Try again. And that might be what God's saying to you this morning. You came in here totally undecided on Christ or maybe at worst against him or banking on your own merit. How much have I earned? And you look in the Bible and it's, nothing waiting for you in heaven, a zero balance. And that should terrify you. But I've got great news for you. If you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit becomes your deposit in that account. Would have been really funny if I asked TD Ameritrade guy, hey, is the Holy Spirit in there? No, just check it. Because I got him in another account. Hey, listen, the kingdom is ours forever. Only in Christ. Romans 8, 16 to 17 says this. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Remember, the father has been preparing an inheritance for his children from when time began. He handed it to his son. His son is now handing it out. If you don't go to the son, you don't have it. If you don't go to the son, you don't have it. And listen, this is so much more than a money thing. I'm talking about God himself being in us. God himself, where's my bar of silver? God himself is the deposit. Wow. The kingdom is ours forever. So we can rest in the guarantee of the spirit because he guarantees he's the deposit, he's the down payment, and he's everything. So we know that everything is coming. But here's another nuance here. Jot this down. We are his forever. The kingdom is ours forever, but we are his forever. The idea of God adopting us as his children earlier in the text could very well mean that this idea of God coming to possess us, to take us as his treasured possession, that's, that's in line with this text too. He's already taken us as his children. It, it makes just as much sense to say he's come to claim the fullness of his inheritance, of, of what he has claimed. He's going to come take possession of what he treasures most. That's a beautiful thought too. That's a beautiful thought too. It's like God's looking into his account. What's in there? All of your, all of your children. You know, to think that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm something God looks at as he can't wait to come and take me home, that I've been picked, I've been chosen, I've been placed in his, uh, in his family. Wow. And it says the Holy Spirit uh, is, is the seal or the stamp. So first the Spirit was the deposit. Now this other image is the Holy Spirit is our seal. So when it comes to God sealing or stamping or signing us, that's a really cool thought, that he signs us, that he stamps us. And what is this stamp? What is this seal? What proves that we belong to him? Well, the Holy Spirit inside of us is like God's signature that we belong to him. How can I know that he's actually going to come for me? Uh, he, he signed your soul. With what? With himself. The Spirit is in there. It's like the stamp. That's pretty amazing. When we think of the idea of someone being signed or someone signing, sometimes we look at baseball, and maybe you follow baseball, but back in December, Garrett Cole became the highest paid pitcher in uh, Major League Baseball. He signed with the Yankees. A record deal. Here's a picture of some of the stats there. Nine-year deal with the Yankees. $324 million contract. Get this. He's going to be making $9,200 per pitch. I guess if I was making close to $10,000 a pitch, I'd wait between pitches too. Sometimes people are complaining about how slow the game works. I'd want to get that right. $110,000 per strikeout. $169,000 per inning. A million per start. A million per start. We hear that and we're like... Whoa, I should put my kids in baseball because then maybe they can get signed and then maybe they can get a record nine-year guaranteed deal. They could get, they could, they could be set. Wow. And the riches of this world are impressive to us, right? Because he's got nine years guaranteed because he's signed with the Yankees. And I'm telling you, that's nothing 
nothing. I'd love to sit next to Garrett Cole. I just got signed for this many years with the, Na- with the Yankees. Oh, yeah, I got signed for a billion years with God. How's that? You're set for nine years? I'm set for forever because he signed me. So uh, I'm not impressed much. Are you impressed by what God promises you and his son? Sealed by God, signed as his, belonging to him? Wow. Wow. That's a record deal. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are claimed by God. We are his. What a wonderful way this would be to share your faith. Hey, let me tell you about this record deal that I just signed. Really? Yeah, it's for forever. (gasps) What comes with the deal? Everything. Heaven. And I wasn't drafted because of my talent. It's not that I had a good year last year. I did nothing. I was actually kind of a lost cause. But God looked down and welcomed me into his family. And so I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be handed heaven forever. Oh, is that how it works? Yes, I'm going to be handed heaven forever. Praise God. Praise God. I don't want to go to some spiritual heaven combine and try and like earn it. I just want it to be handed to me. Praise God the Father and embrace his sovereign plan. Believe the gospel and embrace the Son. Rest in the guarantee of the Spirit. I want to close by praying and asking you to respond to this by evaluating. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And do you have the Holy Spirit in you? If not, I want to give you a chance to receive Christ by faith right now. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm sure that there are some, they came to church today and they feel like failures. They feel guilty. They feel fallen and lost and they feel forgotten. They feel, oh Lord, like there's no hope for their soul and they are right. But here and now they they hear that you've chosen to save us and that Jesus died on the cross for us and You're willing to give us the very Spirit of God if we just believe the message of Jesus. That's all we have to do. And I pray that there would be some right now in their own hearts who say, Jesus, I believe. Say that in your own soul. Say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. I believe the truth of the gospel, that you died for me, that you rose again, and that you reign forever. Tell him that. Tell him that you believe that. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. Say, fill me with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing my place in heaven forever and ever. Father, I pray that there would be some here today who realize that they came into the room self-assured, self-righteous, thinking that they've done enough to impress you and that they've stayed away from the big sins and therefore somehow they're going to earn their way into heaven. May they forsake that false road. May they turn away from their own goodness, their own effort. And may they say, I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued from sin and death. And may they just cry out to you, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, forgive me. Place me in your family forever. 
And I do pray, O Lord, that anyone who's receiving Christ as Savior and Lord today would realize that, Jesus, you will never leave them. You will never forsake them. The inheritance is ours. The kingdom is ours forever. And we are his forever. Praise God. What great news this is. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.